This is Mythogenist, where I host long-form conversations with the most interesting women you've never heard of. Danielle Watson has been living her motto, no excuses and no regrets, to the full sense of its meaning. After receiving her master's degree in occupational therapy, Danielle found a job working alongside individuals with hand and arm disorders, helping them recover the necessary skills to maintain a healthy life. Danielle encourages those around her to ban the words, I can't, from their repertoire. Danielle believes that if you don't like something about your life, there's usually a way to change it. When Danielle was 28, she was a seasoned climbing enthusiast and a passionate outdoor athlete. It was on a climbing trip in 2011 near Gunnison, Colorado, where Danielle's life changed. While climbing, Danielle's rope slipped through the harness, dropping her to the valley floor. She fell 280 feet, the longest survived fall on record. She woke up in a hospital a week later. Doctors attribute her survival to the fact that she landed on her feet. However, the fall paralyzed her at T6. She now uses a wheelchair for mobility. After her fall, Danielle experienced profound changes in both her physical and mental life. Among many great skills and qualities, Danielle's become an accomplished athlete, inspiring not only her peers, but her patients as well. In this conversation, we explore Danielle's very full life with all of joys and unexpected losses. We discuss adaptive sports, caring for her mother, her career as an occupational therapist, joining the Challenged Athletes Foundation's first women's hand cycling team, and mountain biking 100 miles of the White Rim and Canyonlands National Park in Utah. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. It's nice to reconnect after our first conversation. Uh, Yes, it feels like just yesterday, but I guess it's a few years ago now. Yeah, it has been. I'm excited to hear about what's what's been new with you. I know that there's quite a few projects you're working on, but yeah, it's just great to connect with you. So you said you're in Tacoma, Washington now. Yes, I um, I moved to Tacoma for graduate school um, in 2014 and graduated in 2016, and I've been occupational therapist since. And just I love it up here. I love I love Bend, Oregon too, but um, I'm really happy up here in Washington. What kind of occupational therapy are you doing right now? I am doing hand therapy. So I work in a physical therapy clinic. I'm an occupational therapist specializing in hands. So I do uh, rehab of everything like below below the shoulder, the elbow, wrist, and hand. And so is it most people that have had like an accident or an illness of some sort? like, Or is it just um, over time like loss of mobility? Could it just be all the above? Yeah, all the above. It's about half like trauma, surgeries, uh, half like overuse injuries or, um, you know, uh, nerve compressions like carpal tunnel syndrome and stuff like that. Yeah, the hands are such a like dramatic piece, you know, it's just something that's like constantly in contact. Yeah, I love it. I love my job. I can't believe I get to do it sometimes because I'm like, asking the people, what do you have to do? What do you want to get back to? And and sometimes we can kind of replicate it in the clinic. Sometimes we can do it in the clinic, play games, you know, just things to get people back to doing what they love is my favorite part about it. What do most people say when you ask them what it, what it is they want to return to or get back? Well, I work in a rural area. It's been a really good learning experience for me, you know, when someone is like, 
I want to get back to shooting my gun or hunting or, um, you know, no matter what it is, I have to try to figure out what, what's required to do that and um, how to get them back to doing that, you know, without any judgments. Right. So if it's something that you don't even know much about, like you have to go research what parts, like basically how to exercise that particular function. Yeah, you gotta you have to break it down. It's like how heavy is your gun? How long is it? You know, what is keeping you from from performing what you need to do? Yeah, I am learning a lot because I get, you know, all different types of people and you know, in your in your um life, you know, you just kinda meet your own the same type of people. You have your little community, but um this job has really thrown me into like a you know, a large cross section of people. What, yeah, what is your community like in, in Tacoma? Yeah, my um, my community in Tacoma is a bit more spread out uh, than it was in Bend, Oregon, because I went to school in Tacoma, and a lot of people, you know, spread out afterwards. I have a lot of friends in Seattle, but I love Tacoma because you can drive like 40 minutes into Seattle, but then come back to, you know, a home that you can afford, and then you're also like always like... 30, 40 minutes away from like beautiful nature. Yeah, I was going to say, because you're like such an outdoors person. And I wonder if it's much of a adjustment or if it's still accessible. It's different. You know, there's the there's the Oregon adaptive sports community in Bend that is just like, so amazing. So it's, it's been a bit of a struggle up here in Tacoma finding a community like that, um, because it, it's just it's just more spread out, I think. And there are different organizations. Like I got um, really involved with Seattle Adaptive Sports. They do more team sports, mm-hmm. like basketball, but they're not focused on like getting outdoors. So I'm kind of still finding my community for, um, for getting out in nature. Sounds like a giant project, but would you ever consider trying to like head something up or like create a chapter where you are? Um, there, there's been some talk about it. There is an organization, Outdoors for All, um, up here, which is is great, but it, its focus is um, on maybe more people with developmental disabilities. They have a lot of kids programs, and I've just met a few um, adults with physical dis- disabilities that just don't feel like they fit in with that organization. So I'm just, mm-hmm. um, I'm just trying to build a little community of people that you know just friends that I can go out and mountain bike with and I did find you know I have found some people actually through an event with Oregon Adaptive Sports in Bend I found some friends up here that mountain bike so that's been awesome. So yeah tell tell us about your project and your training it sounds like you have you already completed your canyon lands trip or is, are you training for it now? I completed the Canyonlands trip in May. We, um, I was approached by Paul Bikus, this guy who is making a movie called Adapted, and he wanted to feature three adaptive athletes, and, and it just developed into and like a major adventure. So, in May, we went and did the hundred mile um, White Rim Trail in Canyonlands. Oh, that sounds incredible. And I actually was reading over our first conversation and that was one of yeah. the things that you listed as your your dream, like something that you had been thinking that this was the it was gonna be a big project that was on the horizon. So that's so cool that that came to fruition. 
yes, how it happened was just so beautiful. And it really, um, you know, I had to get pushed to actually do it because my mom, I've been living with my mom. She has stage four ovarian cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's been a really tough uh, year in that regard. But um, this filmmaker came to me and he said, what is your dream? And immediately I was like the white rim. There was no doubt about it. And I said, look, I have like no capacity to plan this right now, but if you can help me, I will be there. (laughs) So it was just a great experience of being supported by friends and even strangers, you know, but uh, Paul is, we've become friends. He's a great guy. And I'm just so glad that he helped me complete it and that it's, very well documented. Yeah, so tell me more about how it was set up. Like, what was the actual mission? And and I guess maybe for those who didn't read the um, the interview that we had previously, maybe talk a little bit about just, like, hand cycling in general and just kind of what, like, how the setup, how that works. So I have a an, what's called an off-road hand cycle. So it's a mountain bike that's hand-powered. And I recently um, got electric assist put on it. And I have, you know, a big connection to Moab from before my injury. So my dream for years has been to go do this 100 mile dirt road through Canyonlands. So we decided to do it in, in five days. And we drove down there. And, um, you know, you camp, you go into the canyon, you camp along the way. We ended up doing it in three days because of water. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. And so where do, you, where do you put water and food and stuff? We had a vehicle. So it's it's a lot of people mountain bike it. It's an epic mountain bike trail, but it is a like a four-wheel drive road. Mm-hmm. So that made it just perfect, perfect, because the, the main limitation of the off-road hand cycle is that it's wide. It's got two wheels in the front, so you need a, a nice wide trail. And that um, that road was just great because we had vehicle support, you know, the film crew and everything. So, dang, it was luxurious because uh, we had, you know, we had all of our stuff in the truck. We just set up camp and a little kitchen, and we like ate fabulous food cooked by Paul. What'd you What'd you guys eat? like steak one night, pasta another night. Yeah. Oh, how delicious. I think it was like bacon wrap steak or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're working hard. <laughs> yeah. And so was it just, I mean, obviously you had your support, but was it just you or did you have another person biking with you? Uh, my friend Whitney came and she biked the whole thing with me. She was my hero because she has like very little mountain biking experience and she biked the whole 100 miles with me I thought maybe oh you know you can jump in the truck whenever you want to but she was just all smiles the whole time and yeah it was such a great moment uh when we uh we finished because you have to do this you have to google you know the white rim trail because it's this crazy you know zigzagging line up the canyon to to go in and out it's like so amazing so we came out like just as the sun set and we were just so emotional it was awesome 
Yeah, just like if putting pulling up Google images, it's just stunning terrain. I mean, just mm-hmm. mind melting, and I'm sure the sunsets were majestic to say the least. Yeah, yeah, it was so awesome. I want to make it like an annual trip. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So, what were were there any things about it that surprised you? Like you had been dreaming about this for a while. Was there anything that was it as expected, or what? Um, yeah, what stood out to you? It was so awesome like the whole time with the views that I was seeing I was just like wow I knew this was going to be amazing but this is blowing my mind it's just for days you're just turning every bend in the trail and just seeing a new like desert tower or um you know cliff below you it's really cool the um like the white rim is named after this white rock that's on the canyon edge. And um, at times it just drops off really steep and it's just so gorgeous. And tell me about the gain, like elevation changes. Was it significant or was it, is it pretty consistent? There are some steep hills. You know, I, I feel like I couldn't have done this without the electric assist on my bike, but um, or I could have done it in like, Uh, 20 days or something but the limitations of the bike are that you know if it gets too steep it just the the back tire just spins out so I did need some of my uh, friends to push me up some of the hills but then the downhill is really fun oh I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) a little terrifying though and so will you tell tell me a little bit about the the film I saw the trailer it's looks amazing so that comes out next year right uh yes that's the plan I think it's uh it's called adapted the film and it it features three athletes um two of my friends Anna Sowens who is paraplegic and she just climbed uh, Mount Baker and skied down for the film well not for the film but for herself but it was filmed and then um Josh Hancock is going to do a rafting trip. So there's one more adventure to be had before Paul can finally, you know, finish the film. Gotcha. And so I think what I was reading is that Anna, is that what you said her name is? Anna Sons? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That she, so she just summited Mount Hood in Oregon. So that was maybe one of her either first or like big missions. And now, Mm -hmm. and is it Mount Baker that she, you said she did? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did you know them from the Bend community or just in Oregon or how'd you meet them? Uh, yeah, I met uh, I met Anna through Oregon Adaptive Sports. We went mountain biking together. And then Josh, I met before that in Seattle. We actually did a bike ride together, um, the bike ride across the Olympic Peninsula over four days. So we all three of us have been injured in climbing accidents. Josh was a ice climbing accident and um so it's, it's interesting we all have that in common we're all adventurers and we all got a grant for equipment from the same guy um this guy hawkeye with the go hawkeye foundation so that is another connection between the three of us like i got my mountain bike through hawkeye it's like a seven thousand dollar mountain bike that i was able to get through his foundation can you explain a little bit about the like mechanics of the bike? It's really interesting. So it's like a hand crank. And like you said, that first stability on like off-road, there are two wheels in front, one in back. And so it's sort of like a recumbent style, but 
yeah, I'll let you explain it, obviously, <laughs> you know better than I do. Yeah, um, there are a few different styles of bike depending on your disability and what you're comfortable with. But mine, I'm sitting upright and my legs are like straight in front of me and then I'm cranking with my hands. Um, the, there's one shock absorber in the back. Since then, they've developed more like full suspension uh, bikes and Anna and Josh ride a different bike where they're they're prone, like they're face down and their chest is on this thing. And they're it's kind of a more aggressive style bike. But just because of my level of disability, I'm not comfortable riding that. But it's cool to just even in the last few years, just the world of adaptive sports has just expanded so much. And there's just new equipment coming out all the time. And I just feel like it's a great time to be disabled. I know that sounds weird. Who's really pioneering the research on that? That is a good question. The The creator of my hand cycle, Jake O'Connor, he's uh, paraplegic himself. So I think he was injured and really wanted to get back into the outdoors. He lives in Colorado. And so he started developing these hand cycles and I think he's got a long line of people waiting for hand cycles from him it's it's he's been really busy but he's always uh developing and you know thinking of new bikes like some people um still want to pedal with their legs you know there are different disabilities there's people who are quadriplegic they want to be able to ride these cycles so there's like different hand grips for them I got to go on a trip um, a couple of years ago to the rim of the north rim of the Grand Canyon and I got to watch a few quadriplegic guys riding the similar bike to me but they have you know these they slide their hands into these uh, special grips so that they're able to pedal and um, it's amazing it's, it becomes very technical because it's like you have to um even on my my bike too, you have to switch your hands from the pedals to the handlebars. The handlebars have the brakes and the steering, and then you have to bring your hands in the center to pedal. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that is really technical. So what do you? So I'm totally naive, and I don't know exactly how this works. So like, what happens when you're trying to like round a corner, but you're also trying to accelerate? Yeah, like if you um you can picture it there are handlebars like right in front of my chest mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. a little bit of steering like I can steer with them but it's a lot easier with the wider handlebars because just mm -hmm. the physics got more torque on it or something right right interesting and sometimes you got to pedal with one hand and have your other hand on the handlebar if you're doing like roots like going over roots or rocks it's it becomes really challenging and a really mental yeah a good mental challenge as well I mean I can't even imagine how strong you must be <laughs> to, to do these like the um the training and stuff so I think I saw in one of the maybe in the trailer for adapted the film mm -hmm. you on a um I think it's pretty much like a bike trainer and you're just like in your living room, I don't know, maybe like listening to the radio or something, and you're just cranking, just like just like on a bike trainer. Is that the most typical way that you train? Are you like lifting weights too? Or what's your what's your program? Um, yes, yeah, what you saw in the video is is correct. I'm just on a like a roller type trainer uh, in my living room on my actual bike most of the time. So 
besides the movie that I've been working on, I also have been part of this team for the past year. I was invi- invited to be on the um, the first ever women's hand cycling team that's been organized by the Challenged Athletes Foundation. So uh, a little over a year ago, I, I was presented with this opportunity, um, which is just amazing that um, I get coaching and I get to go to races. But it's been great because I have a coach who like sends me my workout plan. It's usually like about 10 hours a week. And um, I do it all on the trainer in my house. Dang. So is it like adding resistance or just like things like that or just time in the saddle or how, what's the training like? Um, it's really cool. I, I got this thing called a power meter installed on my bike. And um, I think a lot of people are doing this thing where you, you train based on your power output. So in front of me, it says how many watts. I'm I'm making with my pedaling and my coach will send me this um, workout plan that's like Tuesday do two hours at you know 50 watts and then Wednesday you're going to do an hour and a half at this amount of watts and then there's interval training days you know where you go from like 90 watts to resting for a little bit you know and you you really exert yourself so um it's cool. They, I have two coaches. One is a German guy who studied hand cycling for his PhD. He has a PhD in like exercise science, but focused on hand cycling. Cool. So um, he he does these tests on us where we like cycle as we cycle as hard as we can, and he takes like blood samples and is able to um, calculate like our VO two max and our aerobic and anaerobic threshold and based on that he creates these work workout plans he's a genius <laughs> awesome that's really cool to be part of that study yeah so um he's a, he's one of my coaches and then my other coach carlos moleda he was the one who came up with this idea for a women's hand cycling team because um well carlos First of all, he's won the Kona Ironman five times um, as an adaptive athlete. And he went to a a nationals race uh, a couple years ago and just saw that like no, very few women were competing. And he wanted to change that. So now there are seven of us and we get support from the Challenge Athletes Foundation, uh, coaching and equipment, and we get to go uh, race, which has been awesome over the past year, really fun new experience. So what's a what's a race like? So this is city too, right? It's pavement, or are we still, or is it off road? Yeah, now we're talking about road bikes. Yeah, I have like a lot of equipment, like three bikes, a ski, a basketball chair. I got like quite a quiver of spot <laughs> in my garage. That's awesome. Yeah, so a typical race would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you explain it. Like, what are some of the features, and where are they usually, and how often do you guys race? Yeah, this this whole world of of bicycle racing is new to me, but I've been learning about it. And there are different events. One is a criterium where you're like going in circles around a downtown area, and another one is called a time trial where. Um, like in other races, you use strategies like drafting off of people. Um, the time trial is like you alone, 
Um, how fast can you go? It's like, you don't know how fast your competitor is going. You just have to be like redlining the entire time going as fast as you can. So that's like another uh, mentally interesting event. And then there's a road race, which is longer and you've got, you know, all the other cycles, you know, with you, but it's been really exciting. I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to, you know, this is my, uh, sport my safer sport <laughs> other than skiing you know I'll just start cycling it'll be nice and 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 mellow but the races are so intense and there's just so much adrenaline and I'm definitely like hooked on it it's really exciting do you think that you're a more aggressive athlete now even than prior to your accident or is it just pretty comparable because I mean you were a serious athlete you you have been it seems like since birth has that developed or increased at all it's it's just changed like before my injury I love climbing and biking but it was it was all you know just recreational it was it was just to get out there and be in cool places and only competing against myself so I guess I wouldn't have said I was a competitive person at that point but in the last few years I started playing basketball which is a team sport and cycling and um and racing so that kind of it's been just an area of growth like mental mentally and physically for me to handle that kind of pressure and um I mean on the on the cycling side I'm one of the you know slowest newest people at it so that's been you know really good for my ego to (laughs) (laughs) just like learn to accept it it's like I struggle with, okay, I'm probably never going to get to the Paralympic level. Um, So is it worth it? Is it worth 10 hours a week of my time doing this? And my answer just immediately in my heart is just yes, (laughs) because I love it. I feel like it's so good for me. And also it's just like representing uh, disabled women, like getting out there and um, doing sports and being active. I just feel like my presence is kind of activism in that way. So even if I don't win the race, it's just really great experience. Well, yeah, there seems to be, you know, if we all only did things, if we were going to be at the highest level, I imagine that there just wouldn't be much competition at all. There'd just be sort of this like 1% of people yeah. competing and then everyone else would just sort of be clapping. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And I imagine it is really important, especially for younger women, I mean, just who are trying to figure out their self-confidence, you know, it's just like, you know, you couldn't pay me to be a teenager again, you know, so like, imagine like a teenager is looking to you as like a great example. And yeah, just like so much has changed in the last few years. I think of myself in my hospital bed, Googling, like, extreme wheelchair sports (laughs) and you know people are definitely beginning to do it but there wasn't just this huge amount of information out there you just really had to search and um so I just think about people being injured today and hopefully they can you know read my blog or see what other people are doing and know that their life you know is not over How long do you think it took you before you really, truly believed that, that your life wasn't over? And in fact, that it could be really rich? Um, That's a good question. I, 
I remember, you know, being in the hospital after being told that I was paralyzed and just, I had never even thought about disability or I never knew anybody in a wheelchair. I, I just, it wasn't even on my radar one bit. (laughs) So I do remember thinking like, all right, now I'm never gonna have kids or get married or have a job. That's kind of the perception, the general perception of people with disabilities. And it took like quite a few people visiting me in the hospital. I think that's the most important part, actually, is is seeing people with disabilities come talk to you with, you know, kids and jobs and lives. And um, so it was kind of just a slow, slow realization. But it was it was definitely a struggle over the years, like. My first winter was fabulous with skiing, but then the summer came and I didn't have this $7,000 bike yet. So I was really struggling with how to get active. And, you know, a lot of it is the tools um, and the resources that, you know, are expanding. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I bet there's sort of a certain, the first few years trying to figure out, okay, what are my outlets, you know, mentally, physically? Um, because as, as people evolve and change, those things change. But then when you have like a major shift in life, like you did, um, they're forced to change. So you're re reevaluating all of those things. And I imagine that you may not have even known what options were out there. Yeah. And, um, even with the cycling, that has been a huge push forward for me just in the past year, because I, after my injury, I did have a hand cycle and I recreationally bike. Uh, and I would join, I would like enter a marathon or half marathon, but I'd be like the only cyclist and just kind of doing it for fun and get a medal for, I have like a lot of medals just for finishing. So like, I'm, I've been injured seven years now. And for, for like five of them, I really didn't have a good way to work out. I was really struggling with like, um, you know, I can't really go to a gym there's not a lot for me to do there like that I was really missing that cardio like that adrenaline and the endorphins from getting a good workout and so I've learned so much in the past year just even about like putting the bike on the trainer and how to get you know a good sweaty workout it's it's taken a lot of like guidance and mentorship from my coaches just to know like what races to enter and how to where the other hand cyclists are going and how to actually you know, compete with people. For a long time, I was just kind of trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah, that's interesting. The whole level, like even just competitive sports being a whole nother culture as well, (laughs) you know, a whole new world. But what's the, what's the process like or the path like for gaining independence afterwards? Like being able to put your bike on your trainer and things like that. Like these are all things that it sounds like weren't intuitive to you that you had mentors sort of like show you like, Hey, let me spare you the agony. Like there's an easier way to do this. Or how did that process work? Was it just trial and error? Independence. You mean with hand cycling in particular? Yeah. I would say like physical independence um, from the beginning of like getting in and out of your house to then, you know, like loading gear, or, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, um, I've, yeah, I've taken a lot of steps in independence in the past few years with my bike. Like, I used to have to make plans with people every single time I wanted to bike, which 
is just so suffocating. Like you sometimes you just want to go get into nature like when you want to. And that is like a privilege to be able to just go somewhere. So like for, for years it was asking someone like, Hey, on Sunday, do you want to go for a bike ride? Um, but then, um, so I guess the turning point was I went to this camp at the Challenge Athletes Foundation. It was for paratriathlon, and that's where I met my coach, Carlos Maleda. And um, I brought my bike, which is like a 45-pound basic bike. And um, they were like, no, while you're here, why don't you try this this nicer bike? <laughs> and I fell in love with it instantly because it's 27 pounds. And then I, I was able to actually lift it up with one arm and then I was like oh my god if I if I had this bike I could lift it into my car myself I would need help and so I got home and I bought the bike I put it in my credit card it was five thousand dollars but you know like you're willing to do anything for independence right so I, I'm able to like scoot the front wheel up into my trunk and then go around the behind the bike and push it in I have like a station wagon so I have this park nearby and I'm able to like put the bike in the car and take it out and get in by myself go for a ride like go I mean the day that I went for a bike ride by myself was just such a breakthrough for me and how long ago was that that was about two years ago okay yeah do you have any other um big projects in mind like you did the you just did a huge one and I know you're working and you're training and you're competing so it's not like you don't have a totally full plate but do you have any other sort of like sneaking fantasies on the horizon after the Canyonlands? Well I'm I'm devoting so much time and energy into training like um you know 10 hours a week is a lot when you're working full-time so I'm just really excited because last year you know the whole cycling thing was so new to me so next year, I'm going to go through the whole, like, we did four races, I um, mean, four different events, so with multiple races at each event. So I'm just really excited to go back with more experience and more training, and I do work full-time now, so I get, like, limited vacation time. So anyway, in this next year, 2020, I'm just going to really focus on the cycling, the hand cycle racing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, that I don't know much about the race world, but I imagine that I bet it's just a whole universe unto itself. Yeah, and like um, I'm getting so much support from the Challenge Athletes Foundation. I got to go last, uh, it was like two weekends ago, I got to go down to San Diego for their major fundraiser race, the San Diego Triathlon Challenge. And it was so, I mean, I've been injured eight years now, but it still like blew my mind because there was 280 adaptive athletes there and um you know the whole event is is to promote adaptive sports they raised like 2.3 million dollars over all their events leading up to that and um it was just it was so so cool for me because like it's in La Jolla California and just over those few days that I was there you're just like walking around town and you just see other you know, people with prosthetics or people in wheelchairs, like, you just feel like, wow, you know, you know, just the representation of seeing, seeing other people who are disabled and 
active and athletes. It was just really awesome, empowering experience. So I'm just really planning on just seeing where this journey takes me with hand cycle racing and um, promoting, you know, women in adaptive sports. Like that's a national foundation, right? And then they have st- sort of like state chapters or how does that work? Uh, they, they're like located in San Diego, the Challenge Athletes Foundation, and they, they give grants to people all over the world. Okay. Uh, They're just located in San Diego. And then they just, they just started in Idaho, Boise, Idaho chapter, but that's their only chapter that's like outside of San Diego. Gotcha. So we got to go check out that scene in July and do a race in Boise, which was really fun. Oh, fun. Was that the Twilight Criterium? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Cool. Yeah, what's a, so how many laps do you do? What's, tell me more about like race day and what that's like. So like for a criterium, you kind of do as many laps as you can within, you know, like a 30 or 35 minute period of time. So um, there's just, it's, it's really cool. There's a lot of strategy involved. There is drafting, you know, you can work like 30% less, less if you're, drafting behind someone even in the hand cycle uh-huh. um, and it's just really cool working with the team like we can sometimes work together but then in, in the end where um, most of the field is on the team so in the end we also compete against each other so it's fun the last race in Boise um, we split up into like a pink team and a blue team and we kind of tried to tried to compete against each other in that way because you know when there's a field of like eight women and seven of us are on the challenge athletes team you know we got to make it a little interesting yeah (laughs) when you think about people on the team that are either like most inspiring or most interesting to you um who comes who comes to mind well yeah the greatest part about the team is that I just made like such great connections and such great friends and I really look forward to just hanging out with them now and it's like I get oh yeah like automatically I'm gonna go on like four trips with my best friends this year so it's like it really doesn't get better than that but um my friend Edie I've been um hanging out with her a lot she came up to Washington to do a bike ride with me the um, bike for MS ride and she was in an accident two years ago she was hit by a car on her bike and um, she's been, you know, taking it really well. And it's just cool to have a woman who's going through similar stuff. We have a similar injury. And um, she's also my main uh, competition. So it's a fun, it's a fun time. Like we, we hang out, we room together and then compete against each other. But she, she just drives me to keep training because before her accident and after actually, she's, she's done like 14 or 15 marathons and she's like a really great endurance athlete so I'm trying to catch up with her (laughs) yeah it's nice to have those friends that you're always that are always kind of pushing you to the next level yeah exactly yeah and then I also have a teammate Lara she's 16 and um it's been fun watching her on the team grow like she she elected a few years ago to have her legs amputated because of a condition that you know made it really difficult for her to walk and um so she went from someone who had like severe mobility challenges to being presented with like all of these adaptive sports options 
Um, so she's also really gotten into sled hockey. And then I also have, you know, teammates that are, have been professional athletes. So it's always good to grow and learn from them. What's yeah. sled hockey? I don't think I've ever heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like sitting, sitting down hockey. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, and so she she rides a different kind of bike. It's called a kneeler. Like maybe you saw in the video, some of us are in hand cycles, kind of like on our back, and she is kind of like leaning forward, and she pedals, you know, in a sitting position. Uh She was adopted from Russia, and another teammate, you know, is a similar situation, but older, and it's just been really great to see them connect, and it just you know, a lot of us live our own lives and don't feel like anybody really understands us. And um, it's okay. It's I mean, it's okay, but it's just really cool to come together and feel like understood. And um, like last last weekend at the Challenge Athletes event, we were hanging out afterwards and uh, just realizing like, hey, everybody in here is a gimp. <laughs> That's what somebody said, like, we're all gimps in here, right? And that was just like a just an amazing moment for me that I just feel like, oh, I'm understood, you know? Yeah, I remember talking to you before, actually, and you when I think it was a veteran, you were like working with him doing the occupational therapy, and I think it was someone who had a hand injury, and he made a comment about like, us gyms have to stick together or something like mm-hmm. that, and you're like, I was so honored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the disability does help me at work um, because it's so obvious. It's so obvious to people that I've been through something. And so it helps me a lot of the time to be able to um, reach people. And there's probably also a sense that you understand like how and when to push people Mm -hmm. because of how often you've had to push yourself or people have pushed you. Yeah, yeah. um, I've noticed in my work, it seems like, Seems like the larger the injury, the better people are able to adjust, <laughs> and the smaller the injury, the harder it is for them to accept. Um, like for example, after a stroke, you know, somebody could be just really glad to have survived and glad to have the function that they have, um, and then somebody who like fractured a pinky and their little pinky doesn't bend the way it used to. It really, really upsets them. <laughs> you know, I wonder, that's interesting. Danielle, do you think that has to, I'm totally spitballing here, but like, do you think that has something to do with the fact that when someone has a small injury, they're trying to just get their life back to quote unquote, mm-hmm. how it used to be without yeah. refusing to make any changes. Whereas the bigger the injury, people are forced to make such big changes that it changes their outlook too. Like they're almost more open because they are forced to be I mean not without like tons of stress but I wonder if that has something to do with it yeah I think that that's exactly it people like we all go through life just like expecting to be healthy and expecting you know things to stay the same but but you know sometimes it was accident or injury or whatever, you know, you have like, you have to adapt. And my job is to help people to, you know, physically gain, gain as much back as they can. And then um, hopefully help them adapt to the rest of the, the rest of the changes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what's the most appropriate language to use? I know adaptive sports is how you describe the sports aspect, but do you, is it challenged or disabled or what, what, 
language applies to what situation and what's most appropriate? Well, um, I'm sure like everybody has their own opinion on that. I mean, there's like person first language and there's disability first language. Person first is where you say like person with a spinal cord injury, um, person with a disability, putting the person first. But I prefer, you know, just using the word disabled, saying disabled person. And that has a lot to do with I've gotten, you know, like really into disability justice and saying a disabled person um, means that like one, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it and I accept it and I'm not like embarrassed of, of that word. I don't see it as a negative anymore, um, but also that it's society that is disabling. It's the environment that's disabling, not not myself. Tell me more about the justice aspect of it. Um, well, I had this, you know, kind of aha moment when this disability justice activist came to my campus at UPS, University of Puget Sound. Her name is Mia Mingus, and uh, my friend kind of dragged me to her talk, but I don't remember exactly what she said, but I realized that I had been having this feeling since my injury of really having to prove myself to like, especially in school, like I had to be better than everyone just like prove that my disability wasn't an impairment and it wasn't stopping me. And um, I guess through her lecture, I realized that I'm totally fine. I don't have to prove anything to anyone, you know? So it's just been a, a you know, a, change over the years of just like having just more pride in um, having a disability, like loving all the people that I've met through this experience and just not, not seeing it as a negative. I read something that you mentioned um, in our first conversation that I thought was really interesting. You said it took me years to realize the ways that I had prejudices against like non-fully abled people. I forget the language you exactly used, but I thought it was a really interesting concept because I think that there is a lot of unknown prejudice. Like I was thinking recently about just like tra making travel plans and thinking, Oh, I'll, um, you know, I'll wait till the injury is healed before I go on this trip so I can take the most advantage of that trip. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? As if being injured means I don't deserve to have a wonderful time. You know, so it was kind of this weird, unknown to even myself prejudice that I had until I really considered that thought. And then I thought about the comment that you'd made in our first conversation. And I'd wondered if maybe that was an example of that kind of prejudice. Yeah, exactly. It's super subtle. It's like, you know, me um, in school saying I have to get good grades to show them that my disability is not affecting. It's like that is from my, you know, 28 years of being able-bodied person, not even knowing it, but having negative stereotypes of disabled people in my mind. Right. Rather than just the understanding, like, I'm just another person doing this program and I'll do as best as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Yeah. I know you're about to be a film star, but have you seen any good movies recently or read any good books just in general? Hmm. I'm always looking for like media to recommend to other people. I don't have anything that has, that's, you know, disability or adaptive sports related. Oh no, just in general. Well, I, I just am finishing this book by Elizabeth Gilbert called The Signature of All Things. Uh-huh. 
that's been really nice because I've recently become a crazy plant lady. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I've been like really getting really into house plants and this book is a is a really like epic story, um but it's mostly about this botanist maybe you would say. She studies moss and it's got a lot of plants in the book and I've just been kind of like doing a deep dive into <laughs> into plants and it's you know it's it's a really good book too. What kind of plants do you have? Are you, is it just like random stuff or do you try to go for a particular theme? Well, for a while, I just had, um, like, my mom, you know, lives with me, and I was just having her do the watering, or I I have, like, you know, help sometimes do the watering, and I noticed that they were kind of not doing so well. Uh, I took a more active part in the caring for the plant, and, um, and then you, you can really get into it. Like, you're like, ooh, this one's got a new leaf forming, and... Um, Anyway, it really it really got started with this patient who told me that she had made a cutting of one of her plants. She made another like angel wing begonia, it's called, and I was like, "Oh my god, I've been looking for that plant." It's you can Google that plant. It's so beautiful. But um, so I bought I bought this cutting. Yeah, so that just started a spree of like you know Instagram worthy plants. Actually, I just looked up. The angel wing begonia. These are really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it looks really amazing. I don't know. I just feel like I can, if you get in tune with the plant, you can just ignore the plants. But if you tune into them, it's like they're living things and you're co- coexisting. And so I'm trying to keep them happy. Yeah. It kind of becomes like a special art too, you know, just like mm-hmm. how you trim them and water them and like paying attention to light and how they flower and yeah, so like besides working full time, training on my bike, I've been, you know, caring for my mom with cancer. So that's just been a huge aspect of my life as well. So I have to do a lot of self care to to be able to keep going. No kidding, Danielle. That's that's a lot. That's a lot you probably don't have a lot of bandwidth at the moment. Yeah, I just it's I don't know if it's a if it's a I think it is a good time, but when I was presented with the with the cycling thing, the cycling team, it was about the same time my mom was diagnosed, and um, I just felt like I had to take this opportunity. Like it was such a great opportunity with the coaching and everything, but um, it does take it takes a lot a lot of time, but it also feeds me. Like I I feel a lot better after doing two hours on the bike, you know. So. I think it's a healthy, healthy habit as well. I'm just trying to balance, balance it all. My mom has been really supportive and that's, that's a really important part of it. What have you, what's your strategy for self-care? I guess exercise is obviously one of those things that you just mentioned. Yeah, I exercise. I, I have to make sure that I have a lot of, you know, quiet time to myself. I got a lot of you know, input at work, like I see a lot of patients in the day, and they share a lot of stuff with me. It's a lot of, you know, social, a lot of socializing. So when I'm at home, I just kind of try to knit. I feel like I, I feel like I sound like an old lady. I'm like knitting. I'm into my house plants. (laughs) Well, you did. We just spent an hour talking about like some pretty epic adventures. So <laughs> I think it's it's probably good that there's the other side too, some downtime. 
Yeah, I really like to knit. I learned to knit after my injury. One of my home health aides taught me to knit, and that's been great. Um, and I and I meditate when I can. I think that meditation is really helpful. Gosh, you know, all the people that I've met that seem to like really have a grasp on something, <laughs> they all seem to be meditators. <laughs> do I seem like I have a grasp? <laughs> you do, Danielle, you do. Wow. <laughs> if, if you do if you don't have a grasp, you're doing a great job with what, what you're presenting. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's funny, I keep thinking that meditation would be something you know, I, I, I wish it would be you always want the the secret to like mental health or longevity or balance to be something like maybe a little sexier than just like sitting there quietly. It's like actually really hard work, you know, it's yeah. not instant gratification by any means. Um, you know, sitting there for more than 30 seconds is hard without losing your focus or a lack of focus. Yes. It's, yeah. It's so hard. Um, I use an app, so that's, that's what I, that's what helps me to, to focus. Cause it's like, you just sit there a few minutes and you're just off you know thinking about your to-do list or whatever right right what is the that so the app will just kind of like go through like kind of guide you a little bit yeah that there's a lot of apps now but the one that I use is um called 10% happier mm-hmm. and they have all these different guided meditations and you can choose like how long you want or what you want the topic to be and then they also have talks um about meditation or different spiritual things they have series of talks like one is about performance and it's the it's by this meditation coach for i don't know the new york knicks or some major basketball team he like was working with michael jordan and stuff so that that's been cool for you know meditations to help you be a better athlete um, that's available on this app. So it just keeps me, it's just like, you know, you don't have to think too hard. You just play, you just hit play. And then for 10 minutes, you do what they tell you to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Really good practice to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to be do that, doing that once a day. Yeah. That's, I, I would imagine like a daily practice would make a world of difference yeah, especially I've just been noticing lately with the with the phones and all the technology and the even the podcasts, which I love. It's like constant input. We really need like a few minutes at least to just sit there and be alone with our own selves, you know, but like usually there's a ton of thoughts that come up. But hopefully if you do it every day regularly, you get to a point where the thoughts kind of quiet down and you can just be for a few minutes. Yeah, one of my favorite philosopher, uh, Nietzsche, he said something like, you know, in his time, he said that one shouldn't read first thing in the morning because even that input, you just should just be like thinking in the morning. So I wonder often like what he would think of what it's like <laughs> in the morning now, just like get up, like instantly like play my podcast and I'm checking the news and I'm checking my bank account. And it's like, I'm just starting to think that that might have an effect on, you know, my mental health. I imagine it probably does. I'm sort of playing around with that too. The idea of, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but if you, when you wake up in the morning, how you feel if you've watched, like if you watched a movie before you went to bed mm-hmm. and 
I find that I have so much more clarity of mind if I haven't been in front of a screen for a couple hours before I go to sleep. It's like a huge difference. Um, just in like how much I can focus and think or be creative and stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell that it's been a lot less time just thinking, reflecting than I did like 10 years ago. I feel like my life has speeded up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's so much to do, so much to think about. I miss, I miss like life before smartphones. I miss life before smartphones too. But I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't get rid of it either. I always appreciate it when I see the random person who still has a flip phone. You know, they're still holding out and like waging that war. I always have a little respect for them. Yeah, there was um, last night or at work, there was this patient who came back in because she uh, couldn't find her phone and she's like 18 years old. And then this older woman like was like, here, use my phone to call your phone. And it was a flip phone. (laughs) And we were like, do you know how to use that? There's a whole new generation coming down that hasn't had to like press buttons. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Hasn't had to press buttons. That's true. Yeah, it's funny like when you get into a car, when you actually have to like turn the key and turn over the ignition or, you know, just like anytime you're doing like you're on a stereo and you press a button and it actually indents, you know, it just feels (laughs) something about it that just feels really solid rather than a screen. Like a touch screen. Mm-hmm. So if you had to guess um, what you'd be doing in five years, what do you think it would be? I know that's a heavy question. Um, like o- over the past few years, like I'm 36 and over the past few years, I've been just like, like a lot of women, I guess, would go through this of, am I going to have a family? I've been just over the past year, well, my mom, you know, got sick and now I'm a caregiver for my mother and life just never goes how you expect it to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've kind of just come to accept over the past year that I'm probably not going to have my own children and accept that, um, you know, this is my mission in life. Um, and I'm really okay with it. Like I, I love my life. I love my life, but I am always in fear of like the future like in a few years is this going to be enough Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that so far life has turned out great for me and around every bend that I'm you know scared of has been some new and amazing and really fun thing so I've just come to accept that I am here to to do what I love, what I'm passionate about with my friends, and I get to inspire other people by doing that, so that's really cool. Like, what are a few things about your life right now that you hope you maintain? I mean, um, honestly, it is very hard to think about the future when someone so close to you is really sick. I'm just really in survival mode right now and just thinking about the present yeah Yeah. where did you grow up I grew up in uh in Massapequa New York on Long Island and your mom moved out um just recently or has she been on the west coast for a while so 
my mom was taking care of her father in Florida and he passed away a few years ago and then she was alone in Florida so I you know we decided that she would come out to Tacoma to be closer to me so she moved to Tacoma and we were like trying to find her her own place and get her settled here and then she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer so then we just decided like no you're gonna stay here with me and yeah um that's just really not what I expected or wanted in my life at all um but over the past year I've just come to like appreciate her and appreciate that she's so close to me and um just like sucking up every minute with her mm-hmm. has been my um goal lately yeah uh she's on chemo so there she has good days and bad days and um, when she's feeling the best, which is never good, we like to go out, go go to brunch or go take a ride and stuff. Does she like the being near the water? Yeah, Tacoma is really beautiful, actually. It's right on the Puget Sound, and there are a lot of, like, really nice walks of water and beautiful views and stuff. People don't think of Tacoma as a very nice place, but it is. Have you explored much of the Puget Sound? I mean, I know you did that trip on the north end of the OP, right, a couple of years ago. So Outdoors for All, their ski program is like a six-week program. In the winter, you have to sign up for like the whole thing. And that's um, at Mount Stevens uh, and Snoqualmie. So I, I signed up for Mount Stevens, and I did that one winter. And then... um just been exploring some mountain biking places which is really beautiful like last time I went it was just like being this fairy tale world you think like a gnome is gonna pop out there's like moss (laughs) everywhere and um yeah Washington is just beautiful in that way been up to Bellingham a few times there's just so so much to explore in Washington that um haven't even cracked the surface yet but for many years and still, you know, when I have a few days, I like to go down to Bend because I have really good friends down there. Oregon Adaptive Sports is awesome. So, yeah, there's just so so much more to explore. Yeah, kind of the funny thing about the West Coast is that there's just so much. I mean, you could just spend the rest of your life trying to explore every corner and you wouldn't see it all. Yeah, and like Tacoma is developing and Tacoma is so awesome that a lot of days I think, you know, I want to take my mom on a day trip. But then we end up just like hanging out in Tacoma, which which is awesome too. Yeah, and she's really lucky to have you <laughs> and to be there with you. That's that's a really special time you guys have right now. Yeah, yeah. It took it took like I was just very resentful of the situation at first, but now I'm I'm just grateful. Do you have any siblings? No, um, her. Well, I'm her only child. I have um three half siblings. Um, my dad remarried and had three kids, so but I'm the only child of my mom. Wow, what a special thing! What a special relationship. I wanted to ask you, and I'd forgotten to earlier with regard to your film. Um, where can people see it? Where, where will it be screening next year? 
I am I'm really not sure what's gonna be the venue for the film. It it's gonna be a full length film, which I'm really excited about. Oh, like wow. Paul, he's very thorough and he's come several times to my house, filmy training and I mean, even like cooking dinner and literally waking up in the morning, he stayed and was there. He wanted to authentically film me waking up at 4.30 for work. (laughs) (laughs) So it was very bizarre, but he creeped into my room at like 4.25 and was there for my 4.30 wake up. He's a very dedicated filmmaker, but I'm really excited because not only is it going to show these adventures, I think it's going to show like our whole lives and what we deal with um, on a daily basis. He's interviewed my mom. He's interviewed even my surgeon in Denver, Colorado. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, his theme is just the importance of nature and the outdoors for people with disabilities. So he's also interviewing some, you know, experts in that. And so that's his, his goal. But I'm very, very excited about the film. Yeah, it's adaptedthefilm.com, and hopefully there'll be updates. He's done, like, another trailer that has more footage of the actual adventures, the White Rim and the Mount Baker trip, and it's just so amazing. It looks so good. He's he's so creative. Um, I'm just really excited to see what he does with it. Especially, I mean, knowing at least one person in the film, and then it's also all these places that are are so significant, like just in the Northwest. And mm-hmm. it's just inspiring, familiar locations and then really cool stories. And I'm just really excited about it. Yeah, I love that. Like we all we all got her, you know, climbing um, and we're all just doing different adventures. Yeah, I'm like definitely a lot on my plate right now with this with the hand cycle racing and my mom's illness, but like I was presented with this amazing opportunity to go do the white rim and I couldn't say no to that either. So. Absolutely. I'm so glad you didn't say no to it. What a really cool experience. It's been a really, really great year of adventures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so cool. Cause I know, yeah, like I said, the last time we talked, that was on the docket. That was something you really yeah. wanted do so it's really cool to circle back and have you just have completed that mission and it was a success and as cool as you thought it was going to be and it's just so impressive too I mean what a massive like iconic trail yes it is so gorgeous and you know on every adventure that I have it always ends up to be you know the people that I'm with and the connections and you know that's the most amazing part was that I got to do it with my friends and just feeling that love and support from people yeah absolutely you know, a lot of, of adventuring with a disability is, you know, accepting help and being okay with that. And that's, you know, beautiful in its own way. Yeah, I imagine that's kind of a delicate a delicate relationship and that you're probably mm-hmm. pretty particular about who you adventure with. I don't know. I mean, sometimes you want to get out there, so you'll just do, do it with anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or that makes sense, too. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, there's like, especially when you're camping with people, there's just no, there's no privacy or secrets. So yeah, I had to get this um, on Amazon. I got this little tent specifically to go over my toilet that I have to sit on. (laughs) Oh, funny. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was, it was really, really funny. I had a little window and everybody's like, 
eating breakfast and walking by and looking out I'm looking out the little window and I'm like hey you know I was like <laughs> <laughs> do my morning poop there's just there's no um no secrets no hiding when you have a disability and you have to do like stuff that we have to do yeah yeah so it's like a little tent that like goes around sort of like a little privacy shield yeah it's like a tall it's a six foot tall skinny tent uh-huh. <laughs> yeah who's your favorite person to to bike with or just do any any sort of like adventure with oh I have a lot I have a lot of, of friends that I love you know Whitney was great on that trip and um, my friend Fletcher here she's supported me on a lot of trips as well like I love doing bikes for MS events because they're just very well organized and they have like great rides that they choose and everybody's just like real positive. You know, it's, it's a fundraiser. Um, so I, I've been doing this one up, it's called Deception Pass Classic. So it goes up over Deception Pass onto Whidbey Island and uh, that's every September. So oh. this year, um, my my teammate and friend Edie flew up from LA and my friend Fletcher, three of us did that. It's like two days. So we did, we actually both like did record breaking rides. So the first day we did 59 miles and the second day we did like 49 miles. So that was oh the most I've ever done consecutively. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so pretty up there too. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's always just like the first little touch of fall. And this time we rented a little Airbnb and, um, and yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of flat farmland. So it's really not too hard for the hand cycling. There was, there was some Hills, but mostly flat. What would be a more typical consecutive number of miles? Like you guys broke records, but what, what's more of a typical day for somebody? Well, um, with my training, it's just kind of by the hour. I don't know how many miles I'm doing. Um, but every year, I try to break a record somehow. So it's like the first year I did like 20, 20 something miles each day. And then another year I did the 59 the first day, but I did the 20 on the second day. And then, uh, you know, so I just always try to push myself a little bit a little bit further yeah like we we went down to san diego for this challenged athletes foundation um triathlon but we just did the bike portion and uh it was 45 miles which sounds like it should be just no big deal but it was very very hilly no 45 miles sounds that sounds tough (laughs) yeah i mean it's pretty cool that 45 it's like oh no big deal so is there another, um, you were excited about the bike that you have now, is there another step up that you have your no. eye on or you do, do you pretty much have like the Ferrari of hand bikes at this point? Oh, no, not yet. I have the $5,000 model. It's 27 pounds. The next step up is called the carbon bike and it's like $15,000, I think. Whoa. And I don't know the weight of that one, but that's what, that's the one that the serious the serious athletes have there's also like different components like carbon wheels that you can get uh-huh sounds like you need to start your kickstarter campaign yeah my next my next uh thing that i want is electronic shifting okay have a, i just have a lot of technical difficulties with my bike it's it's really frustrating even though it's like a five thousand dollar bike it's just maybe the way that the hand cycle is set up there are um 
a lot of cords coming to the pedals and the pedals uh, that in your hand are constantly moving constantly. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of like technical problems that I think would be solved by having electronic shifting. I think it's like $1,500 ish. (laughs) Yeah. My bike, by the time I'm done with it, it will be definitely the cost of a car. Well, that's all right. Sometimes it's worth it. It's funny to see people with like gear that, you know, if they have a bunch of gear in their car or something like that, you think like, well, that car is not very nice, but inside quite a bit of value. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe the next level, the next goal would be to, to do more international travel and racing and stuff. Do you have anything in mind? Um. I just, I think I have to get better. (laughs) I just have to keep training and see how good I can get. And there are like world championships and there is like the uh, 2024 Paralympics, but that, you know, that would be a really big stretch for me, but I'm, I'm really happy to like support my teammates in getting there. Uh Yeah. (laughs) And we'll see. I'm just going to keep training and see like where my body lets me go i love it yeah it's you're on quite a journey you know who knows where it's gonna go (laughs) yeah you sent me these really cool um i think it was it was for the paralympics it was like a trailer they were so inspiring and i I think i included them in the story for in the interview when we last spoke they're from the 2016 rio paralympics and it's called like we're the superhumans yeah Um, it's just a cool campaign and the trailers were so so rad it was so inspiring yeah, like uh, once you see all these people competing with like missing limbs and uh, paralysis and, you know, blind people, you know, all these different disabilities, able-bodied sports kind of becomes boring. boring. Fascinating. And But since no one's injury is exactly the same, I, you know, like if it's a swimming or something like that, like how, because it's not really a, an equal competition, right? Like how does that get dealt with? Every sport has its own system of classifying athletes. And um, I really love, love hand cycling because there are different categories. So I'm, I'm in the H3 category, which is based on my level of paralysis. Mm-hmm. But the way the hand cycle is designed, you know, it's like you're really laying on your back and you're, you're really just using your arms. They really take trunk out of it so like even if you had some ab muscles some trunk muscles it wouldn't give you that much of an advantage okay so it's really like the the cycle itself is a really good equalizer and so it's just it is a sport that I could excel at but you know there are other sports where I just would be always limited like in uh, basketball I'm just like short and I have a high level of injury and the way they they classify that differently where you know you have point system um there's only a certain amount of points allowed on the floor at the same time but with the hand cycling you're really just competing against uh, people with a similar disability and when you say a higher level of injury do you mean like in extent or do you mean literally like higher up the spinal cord higher up the spinal cord it's just more limiting because you have less Mm -hmm. abs yeah okay that makes sense yeah I love I love hand cycling like last year we did these criterium races in Redlands California and we our coach told us to like 
draft off of each other and to really stay tight in the turns. So I was like right behind my teammate in a turn um, in this race and she started to flip over and there was nothing I could do. So I flipped over. I just totally did like a 180 on the cycle. Oh, wow. That really sounds crazy, Mary, but this is like what hooked me. Like I like pushed myself back up. My bike still worked. I had so much adrenaline. I was like, I love this sport. I got like all this road rash and they, they had to scrub it out. It was it was torture. But oh, really? Gosh, does that hurt so much? It hurt so much. I was like, are you serious? You're going to take that brush and brush my mm. arm off? Oh, I guess I, it didn't occur to me that that is how that's handled. They got to get the grit out of it. Totally. Um, oh, that's so gnarly. I went to work the next day with this like humongous bandage and I was like oozing. Did they think you'd gotten in like some scrappy bar fight or something? Like, Yeah, it must, it must sound just like crazy to people, but I do have this alter ego. I feel like that comes out when you compete. Yeah. Right after I got back from my Arizona trip to the Grand Canyon, um, I went to get a patient from the waiting room, like first time I've never met them before and she was like this older lady and she looked at me and she goes you're in worse off shape than me (laughs) (laughs) or like in the airport I'll be like traveling to a race and I'll be going up this tiny little ramp and people will be like you go girl you're so inspiring (laughs) (laughs) like you have no idea like this is nothing compared to what I can lay down (laughs) that's awesome yeah, I'll have to um, have to keep track of your teammates too, um, especially to see as like people are training and I don't know if there's if there's anyone that you think we should keep an eye on for uh, 2024. Let us know. It'd be cool to follow a career. Yeah. Well, I have two. I have two teammates that are probably going to Tokyo in 2020. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, they have already. They're already Paralympians. So, what are um, their names? Alicia Dana and Oksana Masters. Cool. And what are, what is their field? What's their specialty? So Alicia Dana is in my class. She's got a similar injury and um, rides the hand cycle. She's been Paralympic athlete for many years. And then uh, Oksana Masters, she, like Lara, is a double amputee, was born with birth defects from Chernobyl. She's from the Ukraine. And um, she was adopted, but um, she also elected to amputate her legs because they were, like, non-weight-bearing, I think. As she got older, she couldn't stand on them anymore, so she has a double amputation. And then she started rowing, and she's a medalist in Paralympic rowing. And then she did biathlon, which is the shooting and skiing Mm -hmm. event. Mm -hmm. She got a medal in that. And now she's going to try for hand cycling. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, every single person on my team is amazingly inspiring. Yeah, sounds like it. I wish that they make a movie about the team. <laughs> Maybe that's next. Yeah, well, like you saw the, the video about the team, right? Yeah, yeah, the one you sent me. The CAF Women's Hand Cycling Team is the name of the YouTube video, and that's really cool. It's like a four-minute thumb up of the Challenge Athletes Foundation and then the team. That's so cool. Yeah, it was cool. You know, we went down to San Diego, and we were able to join up for this last leg of 
this thing called the Million Dollar Challenge, and it's a fundraiser where people cycle down the coast of California. And so we joined them for their last night and the last ride um, down to La Jolla, but uh, they played that video, and then um, the you know person, the host was like, I know you've already donated a lot of money, but if anyone is like moved to donate more money based on, you know, what you've seen tonight, just raise your hand and just yell the amount. And, um, it was just like, I've never seen this before, but people were just like a thousand dollars, $5,000, $25,000. Wow. Real money. Yeah. yeah. And they raised like $110,000 in like 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. It's all to support, you know, challenge athletes and this foundation. Like they've, you know, supported me since my injury and, and getting back to doing sports in a lot of different ways. So I don't like, I just feel like adaptive sports period would be totally different without the challenge athletes foundation because so many people rely on it to get their gear there just wouldn't be the competition because nobody would be able to afford the hand cycle or the basketball chair or the entry fee to these races and stuff. So, right. That makes sense. That's like the real barrier to entry is just the fact that the Mm -hmm. equipment is so expensive that like just average person, like with their average job just can't even get there. Yeah. I went for a ride with my friend and she's like, I just bought this bike at a swap meet for $250. And like, it worked just fine. There's just, there's no part of my bike that's like $250. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I guess that, is that the only, people just have to buy their own gear and is that the only couple of groups really doing that? Well, Challenge Athletes Foundation is definitely the biggest, but there are um, a lot, there's a few other ones like the Kelly Brush Foundation. Um, I got a hand cycle through them and the High Fives Foundation, they are, um, I think, really focused on outdoor athletes, like people who are injured doing outdoor sports, and uh, they give out grants as well, and then Hawkeye, Go Hawkeye Foundation, I got my mountain bike through him, and then each, you know, each local place has their own adaptive sport, hopefully, you know, has their own adaptive sports, like Oregon Adaptive Sports, or Seattle Adaptive Sports, and they're all um, trying to fundraise on their own and mostly for, for programming and stuff. They flew in this Egyptian woman who wants to be the first uh, wheelchair racing woman in Egypt. And they, they granted her a racing wheelchair, but my coach, uh, Carlos, was like, you can't just send her this chair. You have to show her how to use it. So they flew her in and they spent a week uh, of, you know, coaching her on like how to properly use the racing wheelchair. And, um, so that's how far reaching they are. Like they're just all over the world. People are getting grants from them. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And this, this team is new, but it's helping people, you know, not just giving them the equipment or the funds, but like helping people like me to, to know where and how to compete. That's like the next level. Yeah, because I imagine that unless you previously had information about yeah location of competitions and how to register and roll, how to train, who to talk to, I mean, yeah, that would be so confusing. Yeah, it's amazing that it took me seven years. I'm like meeting Carlos to 
to know how to race against other hand cyclists. But hopefully the information will get out there. Well, Danielle, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today and just tell a little more about yeah what, what's been going on with you. It sounds like you've had a really exciting couple of years and um, a big year this year, indeed, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. yeah, thanks. It was good catching up. I want to stay on the journey with you. This is so cool. Awesome. Yeah, great talking to you. Bye.